Hi, this is Women Who Travel, a podcast from Condé Nast Traveller. I'm Lale Arikogu, and with me, as always, is my co-host Meredith Carey. Hello. And this episode, we're joined by British writer Dolly Alderton, co-host of the hit UK podcast, The High Low, and author of the award-winning memoir, Everything I Know About Love, which is finally published in the US this month. Hello, Dolly. Hello, I really appreciate the use of finally there. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) How long at this point has it been out in the UK? So it was published in hardback in February 2018. I wrote it when I was 28 and I'm now 31, which doesn't sound like a long time, but it does feel like it's been quite weird doing press for it here and talking about it here because I'm writing my second book now, I'm writing a novel and I feel like there was a period of my life where I was just basically a professional quote giver about (laughs) my own (laughs) memoir. That's kind of what like the whole publicity thing is like and I hadn't anticipated just quite how relentless it could be and I kind of felt like oh now that period of my life is over having not just talking about the book but talking about that whole period of my life like just chewing over endlessly like things I did or didn't do in 2012 in a pub it's just like finally I don't have to talk about that anymore as part of my job Um, and it's weird now talking about it again because going back and reading it just like who is that mad woman that wrote that book (laughs) even though it was only three years ago but 28 and 31 it does feel like two different people and so the book chronicles your 20s yeah from the very start to the very end of them and there's a great thank you for reminding me of that (laughs) well you know what we're the same age so you know are you we're gonna have to go into this together how did you feel about turning 30 um you know what i struggled more with 29 yeah, I cried in the shower on my 29th birthday and then I got to my 30th and just got atrociously drunk and it was fine. Why do millennials have this bad name for themselves as being oversensitive and self-obsessed? Crying in the shower on the morning of your 29th birthday, totally normal. It was actually fine. I'd taken the day off from work. I'd had all these plans. <laughs> and I was just bawling alone. Yeah, I, I found it all very... Yeah. yeah. But then you just had relief when you got to 30. Yeah, and it was fine. It sort of felt like ripping off a plaster. And mm. then I just turned 31. It was fine I feel totally chill about being 31 actually yeah it was like a weight off my shoulders when I could say goodbye to 30 anyway um there's a whole section in your book where you are gallivanting around New York yes and you just returned how does it feel to be back uh do you know I have been so the the extract that you're referring to that's probably the chapter of the book I feel most mortified about now like when I have to do, I hate doing readings from that section. I find it really, I just I just feel so disconnected from that person who, who made those decisions. Basically, I came to New York during a very difficult period of my life for a holiday while I had something like four pounds in my bank account. And in that 25-year-old way, I just, I just somehow thought, it would be okay. I was waiting. I'm a freelance journalist and I'd just gone properly freelance then. And it, my life just, I was constantly like on the phone to accounts departments waiting for money to come in. I'm getting two very sage nods <laughs> from me. We know the feeling as journalists. And yeah, I came here and then I was meant to be coming with Far- my best friend Farley. Farley couldn't come. And I thought it's fine. I'll just have like an adventure on my own for two weeks. Very hard to have an adventure on your own in New York with $4 in your account. And I didn't, I was so lonely. So I decided it was like the proper boom of Tinder. And lots of female solo travellers I know had said that a great way 
of seeing a city is by uh, it's just such shit advice now I think back on it is to is to basically right swipe everyone on tinder I mean, it's one way to see the city. <laughs> it, is, it is one way. And if you have a good chat with someone and be upfront and say like, oh, I'm not really here for dating, but, you know, do you, what, do you have any friends I could hang out with? Do you have, you know, it's terrible advice. Why did everyone give me this advice? Anyway, I took this advice called Tinder tourism and just ended up in a number of completely insane situations. And actually after that trip, because I love New York, one of my best friends lived here. lives here. She's an English girl who married a Texan and they live here. And I love coming here. But after that trip, it was so like the symbolic nadir of my 20s in terms of like feeling completely alone, feeling completely directionless, feeling like I couldn't look after myself, feeling like I had no money, feeling like I didn't know what the future looked like. It was just all feeling like I had these totally dysfunctional relationships. It was bad. So I, I, I felt weird about coming back here. But I've been, this is my third time back since. And each time I do kind of shed that, that memory a bit of that time. You write about solo travel and talk about it pretty much everywhere on the internet. What is it about solo travel that you love so much? I think it's that um, no one will go out with me and I don't have a boyfriend, Meredith. And I don't have any other fucking choice. No. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you bringing this up? (laughs) Um, No, joking aside, I think it's because I've always been very romantic about travel. And I think it's because my parents didn't travel when we were growing up really we would go to the to the seaside in Britain to Devon uh at Easter and wear cagoules and have buckets and spades and then we would go to France or Spain to the same place every year and it's weird some people like one of my very dear friends she's such an adventure and she's so curious and she has this absolute thirst for culture and knowledge but her journeying in life is more intellectual and cultural than it is geographical and she just said she was like I just don't really have the travel bug and I was like I think that's fine I think that for some people that's not an essential part of of being alive and understanding the world and understanding humanity for me it is and I think it is because I just didn't have it so much um growing up in terms of like seeing lots of different places like I'd never been on a long-haul flight really until I was in my early like 23 um so I just wanted to I just wanted to kind of see the world and it just felt like it's easiest to do that on your own terms, on your own. And I also think, so the first solo trip I did, I was 23 and I noticed I had been with my friend Sabrina for the first couple of weeks, it was in Bali and then the last couple of weeks I was on my own and as much fun as I had with Sabrina, I really noticed that there was a sensory difference with how I was moving around the place and how I was discovering the place when I was there on my own. And I think it's it's just because you have to be so alert. No one is checking the ticket for you. No one is making sure that there aren't snakes at your front doorstep. So it, you just have this like hypersensitivity where your eyes are so bright and clear and absorbing everything. And I think I'm just never as in tune and um, to my environment as when I'm finding a new place on my own. What prompted you to go off on your own on that trip? I feel like when I when I was 23, I sort of get pissed off with the friends I was traveling with that wouldn't actually do anything about it. Really? Are you both, you travel a lot, both of you? Yeah. 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 And like, we've got very used to traveling alone because we do it so much for work. Oh, you lucky things. 
And I think it's it's like trained me traveling for work because I have to be super engaged of with course. my environment. Yeah. And talk to strangers and, and make friends. And describe and mm-hmm. exactly. And just really pay attention. I think if if this is not what I was doing, I would not be as good at traveling alone as I am now. Yeah. And it forces you to sort of like, you have to go and eat in a restaurant by yourself because you have to go and check it out and report back. And yeah. you have to go and like have a cocktail in a bar by yourself because you need to see if it's good. And it sort of has like forced me to push myself into those situations, mm. which now I think I preach to everyone and it's like, you should do it. Totally and I agree. Get that it's quite hard to make yourself do it that first time. Yeah, it is. And I remember in, in Bali the first time, and Bali was weird as well because I was on the Gili Islands where it's, it's not like the island that I was on isn't like so backpacky. So it wasn't like I could sit in a bar and just like meet a bunch of cute Australian boys with white man dreadlocks. It was like, you know, it was like honeymooners and families. And and so going into a restaurant and sitting with a drink and a book and having a meal, yeah, it's so weird because I just do that all the time now and I've been doing that for years because like you, I do travel journalism as well. It's just so a part of the job. But I remember that first time I did that, it was, it felt radical. It felt like anarchic, and it, which is so weird. And I remember as well that um, people kept inviting me over for dinner because they just felt so sorry for me. And I think I look, like I always say, we're so uncomfortable with a woman you know, reveling in the glory of her own autonomy, you know, totally separate from a man, that whenever you see a woman traveling on her own, there are two things that you think. You either think Charlie's Theron in Monster. So like she's killed, she's killed someone. She's on the run. She's on the run. And she's chopped all her hair off. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's in some sort. Of, yeah, there's been some huge identity transformation, um, and she's never going to be able to return to the life that she once had. Don't go too near her. Um, or she was left at the altar. That's the other one that I got. I think people felt like I was, something sad had happened that meant that this young woman had to travel on her own, and. Uh, yeah, it, it made me, and I have to say very politely when they'd asked me to come over for dinner, I'd be like, no, thank you so much, but I'm totally fine. You mentioned that there are sort of people kind of categorise women travelling alone under sort of into two camps. And I often find that if I tell someone that I'm going off on a trip by myself, they sort of still like pull a bit of a funny face. Mm. Why do you think people still can't wrap their head around it? Because at this point, like we've had so much media, we've had all these films that Mm. have sort of so-called celebrated women going off on their own. Mm. Why are people so sort of disturbed by the idea? Um, I don't know, because I still do. It's like one of the questions I get so often from girls who write to me is that they they really want to go alone, but they're, they're scared. And the thing they're scared of isn't their own personal safety. It's it's. They're scared of being with their own thoughts. They're scared of what people will think of them. They're scared about eating on their own. And I do think, I mean, it's cliched and it's boring, but I do think that basically still in Western culture, modern Western culture, we believe that a woman's life isn't worth living and a woman isn't really worth being until she has the love and gaze of a man on her. And I just think that there's nothing that 
challenges that more than someone saving their hard-earned money, saving up their precious days uh, to discover themselves, the world, humanity, literature. It's like the greatest luxury travel and the experiences it gives you. It's a very cheesy thing to say, but I think it's true when... I can't remember who first said it, that travel is the only thing that you spend money on that makes you richer. And I think it does still feel like so defiant and strange to people that that a woman would want to do that without it being known by a man. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that you would want to you would want to go to the edge of natural beauty and to the most uh, radical and exciting experiences and it would be enough to just do it just for you that you wouldn't need another person romantically involved with you standing next to you to absorb it as well that it would still be a totally legitimate and wonderful experience doing it on your own because I think also that's deemed as sort of for women like a sort of selfish act whereas I think for a man it's a journey of self-discovery and self-improvement for a woman you should be thinking of other people and serving other people yeah totally I, I just went to Vietnam this summer with my best friend and she when I came back I bumped into a woman who has two children and she was like oh I'm so jealous that you got to do that holiday and she's like I'd love to just go away for a fortnight either with a friend or on my own and just have some proper time to recharge and write and read and just discover a new place and eat new food and meet people and learn new words. And I was like, you should do it. If you have the money or, or you can save the money, you should do it. And she's like, oh, I can't, I can't do that because of the kids. I was like, but don't, because she, I know that her husband is away all the time. I was like, with his work, I was like, don't you have, couldn't he look after them or could his parents look after them or could you organise some sort of childcare routine? She was like, no, it's not really the same. And she basically, it was really sad. And I have to say, I know this isn't the same for all mothers. But she basically said like that period of my life is over. And actually when I think about it, like I really want to have children in my future and something I would really like to be able to say to my partner is, something I wouldn't I don't want to sacrifice is obviously I'd have to do it much less but I I don't want to think that I can't ever have a trip on my own again for 20 years I just that's like the great joy of working and saving money and living for me are those those experiences I have to know that's in my immediate future once every few years or whatever and and I do think I would get massive judgment on it I do think that there are a certain type of person that would think that that negated your uh, love for your family or something. I feel like another place that so many people get, you know, inspiration or like FOMO is starts for most people with Eat, Pray, Love. And like us, I know that you've interviewed Elizabeth Gilbert. Who I'm obsessed with. And by the way, it's no coincidence that I read Eat, Pray, Love, age 23. And my first trip to Bali. Age 23. <laughs> was 23. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious why you think that we're still fascinated with her so many years on from that book coming out. Do you know what? She is a one in a million person because she is, and I say this with no sneering and no sense of hyperbole, she is, I believe, a modern philosopher. And I think her reflections on life, death, love, sex, intimacy, travel, culture, race, I think that they will be printed in books next to Sartre and Camus I really do think that and I think that even more when I meet her because when you get her like completely off script 
she's just one of those people, Zadie Smith is like this as well, that I would ask her something and her throwaway thought, completely off the cuff, would be like tantamount to the most philosophical and profound thing I've ever said in my entire life. And that's just her casual discourse. She has an incredible way of looking at the world. And I think she has a ruthlessness about herself. And also the other thing that's kind of amazing about Elizabeth Gilbert, particularly when you go back and read Eat, Pray, Love, is she is so sincere, so sincere. She's so open-hearted. She's so philosophical. She's incredibly enthusiastic about the world. And that's not very trendy now, particularly like with the with the dawn of internet culture. Like that's not that's not a very cool positioning. And yet she's just so authentically herself. And she said, Do you know, the worst thing that happened in our interview, she was talking to me about her, it was actually excruciating listen to, listening to the tape back. She was talking to me about her late partner, Raya, who was like her best friend. And then and then her, the kind of love of her life, they fell in love and, and then Raya got very sick and she nursed Raya through cancer right up to her death. And um, she was telling me about how she was meant to be writing a book when Raya was dying, but she couldn't because looking after Raya was, was so full on. And Raya's big dream was that she wanted to live with Elizabeth um, while she was writing her novel because she wanted to be like the novelist's wife and she wanted to go into Elizabeth in the morning and make her a coffee. And then, I mean, fuck me, I'd love someone to want to be the novelist's wife. <laughs> Where are divine. those guys? Yeah. Um, and then she wanted to read her pages at the end of the day and it's something she, she wanted to see her at work and create this beautiful thing and she couldn't because she was so ill and then when she died Elizabeth had to uh, had to had a very short period to get the novel in and she decided to move into Rare's apartment and sleep in Rare's bed and work at Rare's desk as a way of saying to Rare like oh. <laughs> I find it so moving as a way of saying to her like we're doing this together and you're here with me I burst into tears when she said this to me, and it's so embarrassing listening to it on the tape, because she has to comfort me. And she's literally like, oh, honey, I know, I know. It's so hard. It's so hard, isn't it? And I was just like, <laughs> bawling. She was like, she said this thing, she's like, I know, sweetheart, being a human is by far my most challenging incarnation yet. And I was like, God, I just love you. I love her so much. Anyway, very long answer to, answer to your question. Basically, Elizabeth Gilbert, if you're listening, yes, I will go to Bali with you. <laughs> what do you feel like you've learned about yourself and how you like to travel since that first solo trip uh, in Bali? The thing that I learn over and over again, and this is, again, incredibly hackneyed and a bit trite to say, but basically the more that I travel and the further I go, the more convinced I am that every single person is basically exactly the same person. I really do feel at every place that I go, like I went to Thailand a couple of years ago on my own. And the first thing when I got into the taxi is there was a man who was like getting really pissed off because a WhatsApp group was just like sending loads and loads of messages and loads of funny gifts. And he was like, he was going crazy. And I who obviously didn't speak English and I didn't speak Thai, but I was like, me too. And I like showed him my phone. I was like with all these like bachelorette party things and, you know, all my university friendship group, you know, just videos of dogs in tutus on a skateboard or whatever and I was like it drives me mad as well 
And you just, uh, yeah, I just feel that everywhere I go. I just feel more and more that if you were to kind of slice open a person in any hemisphere of the world, basically everything that we desire, everything that annoys us, all our blood and guts, that we're all exactly the same. And that's so, that's like such a joy of travel, I think, to really realise the extent of that, the connection that we have with each other. And so um, I think one of the, my favourite kind of through threads of the book is friendship and particularly female friendship. And so do you have women in your life that you love to share those experiences with? Because obviously solo travel is like a fabulous thing. Yeah. But there's a time and place for it. And sometimes you do want the company of your friends. Yeah, it's weird. You know, I've never, ever had it. I always just love being on my own. And then the last, I went to France last, not this summer, summer before, and I went to Paris on my own and I went to Provence on my own. And it was the first time ever in like 10 years of solo travel where I was like, oh, I really, really like a glass of Cote de Ronde now with someone just to talk about. And actually, I remember standing in a lavender field and I had the, the feeling for the first time that I'd never had, which I'm glad I had, because otherwise I was just going to be a loner forever. Where I was like, oh, I'd really... It's enough that I can just have this snapshot in my heart and my head forever. But I would love it so beautiful. And this is so intoxicating. The smell and the sun and the golden Provencal bricks behind it. I would love for someone else to have this picture in their head as well. Um, and there are, I do really like traveling with friends. I think there are some people that you travel very, very well with. I'm incredibly compatible with my friend Sarah because, and we do quite a lot of traveling together because we both are completely obsessed with food and we both think that the kind of culinary journey of a journey is as important as the physical one. So she, she like, I'll never really understand someone who goes traveling and I'll be like, what should we have for lunch? And, and they just, they're like, I don't know, should we just go to that place? For me, it's like if we're in a city for a day, if we're in Naples, we're eating the best pizza. I don't care if I'm like sitting on my phone for an hour reading through every single pizza blogger's blog. I'm here, like this is the part of, a really important part of the experience for me. I have to use that time properly. Um, and she's very much like that. So that's really good for us. I think that's key. Mm. There's nothing worse than sitting in a sad restaurant on holiday, eating a, a sad meal. sandwich, yeah. which is always what it ends up being. Um, I feel like that's why I just star things maniacally in Google Maps. And then that's should idea. I ever end up in said place? Yes. I'm like, oh, I don't even have to do the research because at some point in my life in the past... I have started some restaurant in this place. Yeah, I do that on um, Instagram. You know, you can do the the like tag, the mm -hmm. saved, you know, thing. Oh, I sound middle-aged. The saved thing. You can do the saved thing. Okay. Um, but I, I, was, I, honest, I was like, what is that thing? You know, what's it called? <laughs> bookmarking? The, is it bookmarking? I think so. And then you have the secret file. <laughs> That's the official word. <laughs> um, and, but I, I follow a lot of like culinary, like travel uh, account so it means I have the same that wherever I go hopefully there will be like one place where I can eat but it does make it like Farley when we were in Vietnam I'm much more meticulous about that side of things than she is and we wanted to eat barn me and we hadn't eaten any barn me and I was like okay Anthony Bourdain came to this city and he said there was this one barn mean place that's like the best place and she was like well I'm sure that 
one bar meal will taste the same as the next. But I was like, no, we just have to. And it was really special to go there. And it was the best bar meal ever. So I think, yeah, that's, that's a really important thing for me. And I'm also... I don't like being, this is a big problem with one of my ex-boyfriends actually, I don't like being too rigid with plans. I don't like over planning. A big part of seeing a place for me is noodling around, literally just wandering around aimlessly. Which is like the true benefit of solo travel is that you have no one who's like, I want to go to this other place and you're like, but I want to keep walking down this block for the next two hours. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I just, that's when you really kind of can soak in a place and its people so I need that and then the other good thing about Sarah is that she's the exact amount of adventurer and sloth that I am so she will want to you know climb the mountain or swim in the sea or get up at the crack of dawn to see the sunrise at the you know church ruin but she also will want to have a cocktail on a sun lounger sit with a book in bed all morning and that's like I think I'm just re- I really hope I find a partner like that are you you and your husband is he are you matched we're, well we're that? very ma- we're matched very well yeah. except that um I mean he loves food and wants to eat in all these great places too um but he can cope with hunger in a way that I cannot <laughs> <laughs> I'm Which the same as you, girl. Usually results in me sort of having a mental breakdown <laughs> in a supermarket aisle and screaming at him. Yeah, yeah. I had that a bit yesterday when I landed. I was so hungry. And I, in my head, I was like, I basically, I just can't see New York. I can't see, I can't smell, I can't feel anything until I have a pretzel. Uh, but yes, but some people are just more comfortable, like re- being really hungry. Um, so you're working on your novel right now? I am, yeah. How has like all this traveling or even just sort of thinking of different, like a sense of place and conjuring that up, like informed your writing? Because obviously writing fiction is so different from writing a memoir. Mm. Has it kind of given you license to explore things that you maybe couldn't do in your first book? Fuck yeah. So St. Elizabeth Gilbert said to me uh, when I was, I was like, oh, I'm writing fiction and I'm really enjoying it. And she was like, I'm so excited for you because fiction is where the true you can stand. Basically completely naked and no one can see you. And she was like, I always say to people, if you want to know who I really am, you should look in my novels. You shouldn't read Eat, Pray, Love. Because you have this like safety of this false cloak of layer upon layer. Because the only thing you can mine other than talking to people and observing people are things that you've seen and felt. So the safety in that is, I mean, I don't know. It might not be, it might not be as safe for me. I still am expecting people and I really hope they don't to read my novel and think it's a memoir. And I'm going out of my way to create a protagonist who couldn't be more different from me. And she's going through various things in her life that I've never gone through. Um, but yeah, it's it's just, it's much more, technically it's much more difficult writing fiction, obviously, than writing a memoir. But from what I've written so far, emotionally, it's a much easier experience. And actually the thing that I'm finding, that, that I'm finding really liberating is in the culture of, of you know, hyper-woke, supposedly marshalling, monitoring, scoldy Twitter, where everything as a writer that I say or do on my podcast, in my column or in my nonfiction is 
in the wrong hands used as evidence for my inherent goodness or badness, which is how we treat all nonfiction and journalism at the moment. I didn't realise how much I was craving to just transgress, not be like not be offensive, not be unthoughtful, not be unkind, but to have characters like do like fuck up and to have characters think not bad thoughts is the wrong thing to to have kind of gnarlier thoughts more complicated thoughts and for my characters to be able to do that and that's me that's me just like thinking out loud about things through them rather than me rather no one can accuse me of like oh well those are her politics or that's who she is or that's her morality and just a bit more space to just play around with that is just such a luxury incredible i feel like that's a good place to end but i do have one question as a podcast host what other women hosted podcasts are you listening to these days i don't think women do podcasts very well and i don't enjoy them no <laughs> welcome to women who travel <laughs> um i uh basically only listen to women talking on podcasts but women just nail it when you look at the i think it's just because like with just historically so much better at conversation very aware there's a very lovely male producer <laughs> in the corner of the room you seem to be very good at conversation as well very from the brief conversation we had earlier um but i think women are much better generally at, um at kind of intimacy i think and and that's podcasts and podcast conversations are so intimate um so i love call your girlfriend i love terry gross obviously like any sentient person there's a great podcast called table manners in the uk with have you listened to it no i haven't no. Listened to it's it. with um jesse ware who's a musician and her mom and they have people around and they cook them dinner it's great. Oh and God, I love... Right. Yeah, it's all about food that. and life and they've just got a great kind of rapport. Um, and I love Desert Island Discs who uh, there's obviously a female host there. Yeah, there's there are so many to choose from. Uh, I love listening to... Basically all I do living on my own is just listen to women talking. <laughs> when I'm cooking, when I'm cleaning, when I'm having a shower, it's just two women I'll never meet nattering in the corner. If people want to listen to your podcast and listen to you, Nattering in the Corner, how <laughs> can they find it? Um, I co-host a weekly podcast, current affairs and pop culture podcast, called The High Low, which um, you can listen to on Acast or on the... I never know how to... I'm so tech-phobic. I can't say podcast, Spotify. It's on all the things. There we go. Yeah. Thank you. I, I got told to off for saying iTunes, apparently. That's it's what I was about to say, because I've been told it's old-fashioned. So I was going to say the iTunes app. <laughs> <laughs> Download the iTunes app. <laughs> I don't even think it exists anymore. Um... And if people want to follow you on the internet, where can they find you? Uh, I wouldn't, if I were you. <laughs> I don't think my content's that great at the moment. Um, but I'm at Dolly Alderton. If you'd like, you know, lots of pictures of Rod Stewart, basically. Who doesn't? I'm <laughs> at Oh Hey There Mayor. I'm at Lale Hannah. Check us out at womenwhotravel.com and we will talk to you next week. 